Our sermon this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Hear now the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we come now before you to hear from you. And we come to find great joy and strength in these glorious and triumphant truths that you have laid before us this morning. And so we ask you to help us. I believe in my heart, Father, that we esteem you too little. You weigh upon us too lightly. And so we come to do a glorious work this morning. We come to learn about our Father in heaven, and yet I believe we cannot do so on our own. And so I ask you, will you please send your Spirit to us that we may rightly rejoice in your glory and rightly respond to your truth? We need your help this morning, Father. So I ask you, your children ask you, will you please help your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1869, Anna Warner wrote a best-selling novel entitled Say and Seal. In that novel, the main character of the story is comforted by a little boy with a simple poem. The little boy said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That little poem written in that book has gone on to become a cherished song, sung by many children, mine included. But it's just not a song for kids, I don't think. I trust many adults have been impacted by the simple truth recorded in that simple child's poem. In fact, James Boyce, the great preacher, tells a story of Harold Vocal, an American of Korean descent who served as a chaplain during the Korean War. Vocal was a committed follower of Christ And he was very valuable to the U.S. Army because he spoke fluent Korean. And so Volkel was assigned the incredible task to bring order to the, uh, the, the prisons where the North Korean prisoners of war were kept. 
And he looked at this task and had no idea how he was going to actually bring order to these prisoners of war. And so he prayed to our Lord and sought guidance and he felt like he was given insight from the Lord. And so he entered one of the holding pen where hundreds of North Korean POWs were and he began to speak to them in fluent Korean, which piqued their interest. So they began to gather around. Here's an American that speaks our language. And once they had gathered around, Vocal began to teach them this song in Korean. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And after he had taught them this song in Korean, he went on to explain what it means that Jesus loves them. He began to, began to tell the North Koreans that they have sinned against their God, against their Creator, and not just the North Koreans, but the Americans have sinned against God as well. And God has made a way for us to have peace with Him through Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that He may bear the wrath of God for their sins for the North Korean sins, and for the American sins. And if they would simply bow their knee to this now resurrected Jesus, they would be saved. He taught them this. In fact, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, I'd like you to hear that message. If you hear nothing else, know that you can be rightly reconciled to God today by the simple act of surrendering to Jesus Christ as Lord. The Scripture tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be saved today, friend, forever, rightly related to God forever. This is what Vocal explained to the North Koreans. Well, they responded so well, he went to another compound, did the same thing, and another, and another. And when he was done, after several months, thousands of North Korean POWs bowed their knee to King Jesus. In fact, many of them were sent back to North Korea when the war was over, but they refused to join the Communist Party. And many missiologists believe the reason why there's a fledgling North Korean church existing today, underground hidden, is a legacy of the work of vocal and this simple song that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. The question I think then would be good for us to answer is, where does it tell us so? If that's true, then where? Well, friend, I could tell, think of no better passage than the passage that's laid out before us. As we see the love of Christ repeated to us over and over again, if you remember, we've been working our way through Romans chapter 8. We've taken a couple weeks break to, to focus on missions. But if you remember back in verse 31, Paul begins to conclude this great chapter. And he, he begins to throw out a series of questions. To, to describe our glory security that we have in Christ. There are five questions here. In verse 31, he asks, who, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one, at least no one successfully. And then in verse 32, he says, if God has given us his son, how will he not with him graciously give us everything that we need for the work in which he has laid before us? And then in, in verse 33, he asks again, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? The answer is no one at least no one successfully. In verse 34, he asks his fourth question, who is to condemn? Well, no one is, because Christ Jesus has died, Christ Jesus has been raised, Christ Jesus has ascended to heaven, and there he intercedes for us. And so now we come to his fifth question this morning, found in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's what Paul wants to know. Who will get between us and Christ's love? Many will try, but Paul explains none will succeed. 
Now, I want you to understand that because Christ has loved you does not mean that you will not face hardship and difficulty and trial. Somehow we got in our mind that we have the love of Christ, therefore we should have a life of ease and peace and safety. But the Apostle Paul doesn't understand this, for you notice the candidates that he offers up for us here in verse 35, tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword. And so our hope, friends, is not that because Jesus loves us, our life will be easy. Our hope is that when our life is not easy, we still have what we value most. Namely, the love of Jesus Christ. When uh, the uh, ease is elusive and our comfort is lost and our security is stolen, we still have the hope that Jesus' love continues to rest upon me. And I would suggest to you that this is true security. A security in which one pastor said, no terrorist or torture, no demons or disaster, no sickness or sin, no man or microbe, no sacrifice or suffering, no government or grave can destroy and if, you're lo- if the love of Christ for you is your great desire, and if it is your great hope, and if you never have to fear losing that love, does that not therefore free you and I to live lives of great sacrifice, to carry our cross, even to lose our lives for the sake of the kingdom, to deny ourselves, knowing that that which we value most, the love of Jesus, shall never flee from us. We have it eternally. And so I would like to explore these ideas with you this morning if we can. And as we do, I would like to uh, share an example of someone who believed these passages. In fact, two people. Their names are Adoniram and Anne Judson. And I'd like to review their life. They are the first foreign or overseas American missionaries, Baptists, who went to the nation of Burma. And I understand that Missions Week was last week, but if you allow me just to one more time, if I can beat the drums for missions. You see, the Judsons believed in the security that they had, knowing that the love of Christ can, can never be taken from them, so they were willing to sacrifice much for the kingdom of God. And my hope for us this morning is that God will work in our heart, that knowing these great truths, he may change us. He might change the way we live. He might change what we live for. He may even change where we live or what we do because of these truths. Adoniram and Ann Judson believe this passage. In fact, they not only believe this passage, they believe Romans 8.28. If you remember, the Bible says, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, this is evident in Adoniram Judson's life. He was born in 1788, and he would take the gospel to Burma for 38 years. Adoniram was the brilliant son of a pastor. He was taught to read at age three by his mother in a week. In fact, he was reading so well when his father returned home after being gone for that week. This three-year-old boy surprised his dad by reading him an entire chapter out of Scripture. He would enter uh, Providence College, now Brown University, at the age of 16. Three years later, he would graduate at the top of his class. He exceeded and excelled academically, but those three years at Providence College were also very trying for Adoniram. Because at that time, like many people, his faith was attacked. In fact, he left college loving Jesus. He entered college loving Jesus. He left college denying Jesus. He met a friend there named Jacob Eames, who was a devout and brilliant atheist of his day, and they became best friends. And by the time Eames was done with Adoniram, Adoniram had denied his faith completely. He kept it secret from his parents until the age of 20, where he broke his mother's heart and said, I don't believe in God, and I certainly don't believe in your God. 
Six days later, he left home just to wander the country as a wanderlust, just looking for excitement and adventure. Well, hard times quickly fell upon Adoniram, for he ran out of money, and he was staying at a small country inn, a very poor place. The innkeeper had one room left, and he apologized to Adoniram beforehand because the man in the room next to him was very sick, and he may keep him up at night. And so Adoniram took the room, and he heard this man groaning and moaning throughout the night, and thoughts began to enter Adoniram's head. Is this man ready to die? What will happen to him when he dies? And as soon as the thoughts entered his mind, he quickly rebuked them, thinking, what will my good friend Jacob Eames think of me with such silly Christian thoughts? Well, he didn't get much sleep that night. In the morning, he went to check out, and he asked the innkeeper how the man was doing next door. The innkeeper said he died last night. Adoniram asked him, do you know his name? The innkeeper said, yes. He's a young man from Providence College named Jacob Eames. Adoniram froze immediately. He checked back into that room, didn't go anywhere. He began to ponder these realities. Could this simply just be coincidence? Or is this an act of providence of God? He left that room convinced he was lost, entered Andover Seminary, and there at Andover he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Not only did he surrender his life to Jesus Christ, but he entered, he received a call to take the gospel to a foreign land, which was unheard of of Americans in this day, and he surrendered to missions. A great delight to his parents that he gave his life to Christ, but it was not a great delight that he surrendered to the call of missions. In fact, when Adoniram left Andover Seminary, he was offered a prestigious teaching position in his young 20s at Providence College. At the same time, he was offered the, most, the pulpit in the most influential church in Boston at the young age of 22. His mother was elated. She said to Adoniram, and you will be so close to home. He told his mother, I shall never live in Boston. I have further to go than that. He would take the gospel to the nations. He would do so not because he was expecting ease and comfort and security. He did so because he, was ex- he already had what he wanted. He had the love of Christ. And nothing could take that from him. And so he felt free to give his life, to spend it, to exhaust it in service of our Father and the kingdom of our beloved Savior. He did not go alone, however. He went with a young lady named Anne. In fact, on the day that Adonai was surrendered to the call to missions, he met that girl. He knew immediately that he loved her. He, in fact, asked her father's hand in marriage within a month. This is the letter that he wrote to her father. This letter has inspired, by the way, countless missionaries. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you could consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamation of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? 
Her father said, I will leave that to Anne. So Adoniram proposed to her. He wrote her a letter on January 1st, 1811. It is with utmost sincerity and with my whole heart that I wish you, my love, a happy new year. May it be a year in which your walk will be close with God, your frame calm and serene, and the road that leads you to the Lamb marked with purer light. As every moment of the year will bring you nearer the end of your pilgrimage, may it bring you nearer to God and find you more prepared to hail the messenger of death as a deliverer and a friend. And now, since I have begun to wish, I will go on. May this be the year in which you will change your name, in which you will take a final leave of your relatives and native land, in which you will cross the wide ocean and dwell on the other side of the world among a heathen people. What a great change this year will probably affect in our lives. How very different will be our station and employment. If our lives are preserved and our attempt prospered, we shall see next year's new day, New Year's Day in India and perhaps wish each other a happy new year in uncouth dialects of Hindustan or Burma. We shall no more see our kind friends around us or enjoy the conveniences of civil life or go to the house of worship with those who keep that holy day. But swarthy countenances will everywhere meet our eyes. The jargon of an unknown tongue will assail our ears and we shall witness the assembling of the heathen to celebrate the worship of idol gods. We shall be weary of the world and wish for wings like a dove that we may fly away and be at rest. We shall probably experience seasons when we shall be exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. We shall see many dreary, disconsolate hours and feel a sinking of spirits, anguish of mind, of which now we can form little conception. Oh, we shall wish to lie down and die. And that time may soon come. One of us may be unable to sustain the heat of the climate and the change of habit. But whether we shall be honored or mourned by strangers, God only knows. At least each of us will be certain of one mourner. In view of such scenes, shall we not pray with earnestness for an overcoming faith? Well, Anne was willing to go. She wrote to her friend Lydia, I feel willing and accept if nothing in providence prevents to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia. I have come about to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. The next spring they were married. Fourteen days later they boarded ship to sail to India, Adoniram 24 and 23, never to see their mother, father, or family again. It's one truth that will preserve them through their troubles, The truth that we turn to, first of all, in this scripture, that no hardship will separate you from the love of Christ. Consider once again, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So he's calling for someone to answer. Who is able to do this great work? Who can get between you and the love of Jesus? He offers seven possibilities. Shall tribulation... This comes from the term of a sled that is used to drag over wheat to, to break the, the kernel off the stalk. I don't know if you ever feel run over in life. You ever feel like you're hit by a truck? Then you know tribulation. If life falls on you and the burden is so great that you feel like your faith is crushing, you understand what this means. My question for you then is shall tribulation separate you from the love of Christ? No. 
neither shall distress, coming from a term that describes a narrow space to be confined or pressured, to be squeezed by obligations and responsibilities, to feel foxed in by the daily grind. Maybe the trouble is to survive on a tight budget, or maybe it's just the daily caring for little ones in a home, a work that never ends. I wonder, shall distress separate you from the love of Christ? No. Well, what of persecution? When you are rejected or ridiculed or abandoned or isolated or mistreated because you love Jesus Christ, when you're gossiped about in school or your career advance is sabotaged because you love Jesus, shall persecution separate you from the love of Christ? No. What about famine? What about extreme poverty? What about when you cannot meet your basic needs? What about when you lose your home, as many have throughout this world? What about when famine leaves your children malnourished and bloated with only a daily ration of rice to eat? Shall famine separate you from the love of Christ? No. What about nakedness? What about the shame and horror of sexual abuse? Shall that separate you from the love of Christ? No. What about danger? When, when, when you are, the danger comes to take away your family or, or leave you alone, will that separate you from the love of Christ? Friends, no. What about sword? The fear of physical assault because you love Jesus. What about threat or injury? What about when your heart is pierced or your hand is cut off? Shall the sword, uh, separate you from the love of Christ? No. No hardship will separate you from the love of Christ. The love of Christ does not mean you will not experience hardship. It means it shall not get between you and that which you value most, the love of Jesus Christ, your Savior. The Judsons had this faith. They arrived in India and were immediately forced out of the country. They were finally allowed into Rangoon, Burma, where they would spend the next 38 years. Burma, they would invest their life. And it's there they knew and experienced that hardship would not separate them from Christ's love. They immediately felt hardship in their family. Anne's first child was stillborn on voyage. Their second child, named Roger William Judson, lived for 17 months, and then he died. What shall separate them from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress? Judson began his work when he got there. His first years learning the language, he found incredibly difficult because there was no grammar, no dictionary, and no English-speaking teacher. And he learned alongside of Anne, who learned much faster than him, by the way. And he translated eventually the gospel into Matthew in a number of years and began to translate gospel tracts and hand them out discriminately. After seven years of being in Burma, he gave his first public sermon. He sat in a Burmese hut by the road and called out, Ho! Everyone who thirsts for knowledge, come. And there he would preach the gospel. Three months later, the first Burmese individual gave his life to Christ, a brother named Maung Nu, perhaps the first Burmese ever to put his faith in Jesus. Within three more years, there were 18 Burmese converts. And as the work began to pick up speed, hardship soon followed. In 1824, war, war broke out between England and Burma, and Judson was considered, considered to be a spy, even though he was an American and not English. In fact, every English-speaking person in the country was rounded up by the Burmese government and considered to be spies and put in the prison. The prison in which Judson would live for quite some time was a room that's 40 feet by 30 feet, perhaps the size of your garage times two. 
and there were over 100 people there. The, the ceiling was only five feet high. There was no ventilation except for the cracks in the floor. His biographer writes, in this room were confined 100 persons of both sexes and all nationalities, nearly all naked and half famished. The prison was never washed or even swept. Putrid remains of animal waste and vegetable matter together with nameless abominations strewed the floor. In this place of torment, Mr. Judson lay with five pairs of fetters on his legs and ankles, weighing about 14 pounds, the marks of which he carried to his dying day. At night, so as to not escape, they took those fetters around his ankles and hoisted his feet to the ceiling so that he slept with only his shoulders on the ground. Over months, his eyes hallowed, his hair fell out, he was dressed in rags. He confessed to almost be driven mad by the mosquitoes feasting on his bloody feet. He almost died several times as that prisoner. In fact, he was the only English-speaking person to survive those prison camps. I wonder, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution? Of course, Adoniram was not the only one to suffer. Anne, at this time, was in her early 30s. A young woman in a foreign land, without any protection, without any support, pregnant now for the third time. And yet she would walk two miles each way every day to bring him food and to give him some relief. She soon gave birth to a little girl whom they named Maria. She bought little Maria 21 days after she was born to the prison where her husband lies so that she could meet her father. Maria soon contracted smallpox. And then Anne followed by spotted fever. In fact, Anne grew so weak, she could not take care of Maria. She begged the prison officials many, many times that they would let uh, uh, Adonai would take care of his little daughter, and they finally consented. So at night, for a number of weeks, Adonai would be let out of prison, still with the shackles on his feet, followed by an armed guard carrying a crying baby, begging some Burmese woman to feed his child, for Anne was too emaciated to feed little Maria. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Famine or nakedness? At the end of his imprisonment, his faith was severely tested. He would write, um, or his biographer would write, his daughter was starving before his eyes. Anne was nearly dead. His translation work was lost. He himself was marked for death. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall danger or sword? Adoniram and Anne are not the only Followers of Jesus to experience these hardships. Thousands upon thousands have lived similar lives. The Bible speaks of them in Hebrews chapter 12. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Paul, too, experienced all this. You read his story. You know that Paul went through all these things. It's perhaps because Paul endured through them that he was able to come out the other side and recognize the love of Christ is still with me. I shall not be separated from it. And he encourages people like Anne and Adoniram and you and I with this great, incredible promise that nothing that comes our way will separate us from Jesus' love. Friends, you are given this incredible truth 
not so that you can have peace while you live like the world. We are given this truth so that we may have peace when we, when we turn our back to the world and live a life for the fame of our Father and for the kingdom of our Savior. This is what God, why God tells us these things, so that we may live differently with great confidence and hope that wha- that which we cherish the most shall never leave us. No matter what we give up, no matter what we sacrifice, I have the love of Christ and no one can take that from me. Nothing can take that from me. No hardship can rob that from me. This is why we're given this promise. We need to understand these truths. May God plant them in our heart so that we don't just run after American materialism knowing uh, I got a little bonus that Christ's love shall never leave me. It's to free me from that so that I may know I have the thing I cherish the most and be willing to give up all else. God, help me and you to cherish these truths. We secondly see that no death will separate you from the love of Christ. Note verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul here is quoting from Psalm 44. He's telling us that those who follow Jesus will be cut down. They'll be slaughtered. They will be killed. I think he's telling us because he wants us to understand, he wants the church to understand, wherever it may be, that being a Christian does not mean you don't get killed. In fact, quite often it means the opposite. He says it is for God's sake. You see that? For your sake. It's God's sake that this is happening. That even when the Christian is slaughtered, we know the Scripture tells us God rules through it. He rules in it. He's not helplessly watching the death of Christians, whether they're handed over to gladiators or handed over to jihadists. It's not a declaration that they have lost the love of God. It's not a declaration that God is out of control. And certainly not a declaration that they are separated from Jesus' love. Jesus himself would say in Luke chapter 21, Some of you they will kill, but not one hair of your head will perish. Not amazing truth. There's some of you they will kill. This is happening today in Afghanistan and North Korea and Indonesia and Iran and Ethiopia and Somalia and Eritrea and Bhutan and Vietnam. 160,000 Christians died last year because they love Jesus Christ. 160,000. Some of you they will kill, Jesus says. Not because they left God, not because they were separated from his love, but because they love him. But, he says, not one hair on your head will perish. You will not lose my love, he says. I'm, I'm simply bringing you home. Well, Anne and Adoniram, I believe, understood this truth as well. After 21 months, he was finally released from prison. He quickly made his way to see Anne and little Maria, whom he had not seen for a number of weeks. His biographer once again writes, One of the most pathetic passages in the history of Christian missions is that which describes the scene when Judson was finally released and returned to the mission house seeking Anne, who failed to visit him for some weeks. As he ambles down the street as fast as his maimed ankles would permit, the tormenting question kept repeating itself, is Anne still alive? Upon reaching the house, the first object to attract his attention was a fat, half-naked Burman woman squatting in the ashes beside a pan of coals and holding on her knees an emaciated body so begrimed with dirt that it did not occur to him that it could be his own Maria. Across the foot of the bed, as though she had fallen there, lay a human object that at first glance was no more recognizable than his child. The face was of ghastly paleness, 
the body shrunken to the last degree of emaciation. There lay the faithful and devoted wife who had followed him so unweariedly from prison to prison, ever alleviating his distress and consoling him in his trials. Presently, Anne felt warm tears falling upon her face and rousing from her days saw Adoniram at her side. She was suffering from spotted fever and cerebral meningitis. Amazingly, she recovered, though only for a while. In fact, Judson, who was away for a little while, would receive what is now known through the history of missions as the Black Sealed Letter. The one who delivered it thought it carried news of the death of his daughter. When Adoniram opened it, it read, Dear Sir, to one who has suffered so much and with such exemplary fortitude, there needs but little preface to tell a tale of distress. It were cruel indeed to torture you with doubt and suspense to sum up the unhappy tidings in a few words. Mrs. Judson is no more. And his beloved emissary of King Jesus, his beloved wife, had died under her sickness. Six months later, on April 24th in 1827, Adoniram buried the body of his two-year-old daughter, Maria, beside her mother's grave. She had returned to her mother. She had gone to see King Jesus. I wonder, shall death separate us from the love of Christ when it's cruel, vicious, and untimely? Death is the separation of things we love, from family, from pleasures, from from friends, and therefore it does not look like love. But Christian, do you understand what God has purchased for you through Jesus? That death, your once greatest enemy, does not separate you from God's love. It actually ushers you into a more fuller enjoyment. This is the truth that God gives us, that our hope here is not long life. Our hope here is service to our King and eternity with Him. I don't care if He gives you 180 years or simply two years. It is but a winter's breath compared to forever and ever and ever and ever. And He gives us these truths. He says, "You some are being slaughtered, but you are not being separated from my love. This is the truth that our Christian gospel gives us. This is the truth that compelled Anne Judson to give her life for King Jesus. Well, we thirdly see another truth that I believe the Judsons believed. No enemy shall separate you from Christ's love. Butch has already referred to this here in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So he sums them up, all these things. All the things that he's listed so far, these enemies that fight against us. How can we endure them, we wonder? Well, it's not by avoiding them. You notice verse 37 says, it's in these things. It's not escaping these things, we're conquerors, but it's actually in these things or through these things. Of course, we do not conquer them through our strength. In fact, verse 36 just said we're sheep. I don't know of many conquering sheep, right? When I think of sheep, I don't, I don't think of something that conquers. I don't know of any sports team that has sheep as their mascot. Maybe North Carolina, they got a sheep running around. I don't know what that's all about. They're the Tar Heels. Why do they have a sheep? That makes no sense to me. But we're sheep, he says. And then he says, after saying you're sheep, understand that you are more than conquerors. But it's not because of our sheeply strength. You notice verse 37. It is through him who loved us. I'm going to conquer everything that comes against me. Not because I'm strong and able and capable, but Jesus is. And he shall give me that strength. 
And so whatever God in His providence allows to come into my life, I understand that through Christ, I shall conquer it. In fact, more than conquer it, I will be more than a conqueror. And so what does it mean to conquer these enemies? Well, I believe these enemies, persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, is, is intended by our enemy to separate you from Christ's love. I think it's intended for my, to get you to renounce your faith. If this is how Jesus is going to teach me, if he's going to let, let not one of my child, but two of my children, but three of my child, along with my beloved wife, die a cruel death, why I serve him in great sacrifice? Well, enough with Jesus then. See, that's what, that's what the enemy wants. And the Bible says, no, that will not be permitted by God. It's through the strength of Jesus Christ that the purpose of the enemy, that is to separate you from Christ's love, will be conquered. But he does not simply say that we are conquerors through him. He says we are more than conquerors. So what does it mean to more than conquer? If I conquer something by defeating the purpose for which it comes against me, I think if I'm more than a conqueror, I not only defeat it, but I enslave it and use it to serve my good. I think that's what it means to be more than a conqueror. A conqueror defeats his enemies. A more than a conqueror not only defeats them, but he uses his enemies as his servant. Paul, I think, spoke of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says, for these slight momentary tribulation, that's his enemy, is bringing about for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Not only does my enemy not defeat me, it is actually serving me. To long, help me to long for God, to, to accumulate the glorious reward that will be brought to me. And so tribulation, friends, will not separate you from Christ's love. You're a conqueror. But tribulation, moreover, will, will prepare you. It, it will loosen your grip on this world. Right? If tribulation comes and it pull, and it, 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 it diminishes the pull of the world upon you, you not only conquered it, you've more than conquered it. It is beginning to serve you. Well, the Judsons, I think, understood this. Of course, Adoniram suffered greatly from these losses. Uh, Losses, almost too much to bear. He was some man just like you and I. And he went into an incredible uh, period of despair. He, He almost lost this fight. He began to doubt himself. He began to wonder, perhaps he had come to Burma not for the fame of King Jesus, but for his own fame. In fact, by this time, he had become incredibly famous. His, his stories were being published in American newspapers by the week. Maybe he did it for himself, he began to think. And he began a process of self-mortification. Anything that brought him joy, he, he, he cast aside. He even stopped translating the Old Testament because he enjoyed that work. He retreated more and more from people and anything that he found delight in. He destroyed all his letters of condemnation. He renounced his honorary doctor of divinity degree from Providence College, and he gave up every penny that he owned. In fact, two years after Anne's death, he moved into a tiger-infested jungle there to live in a hut in which he built in total isolation. He became a hermit. He did write one letter to Anne's relatives, saying, my tears flow at the same time over the forsaken grave of my dear love and over the loathsome grave of my own heart. In fact, he dug a grave right by his hut. And for days he sat in it, sat next to it with his feet dangling in it, almost as if he was waiting just for God to strike him down so he could roll into his grave. On the third anniversary of Anne's death, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. And it's there in incredible despair that Adoniram languished in that jungle. 
Was he conquered? Was he defeated? No. God, after a period of despair, began to do a work in his heart. He would not stay there forever. In fact, one day he would walk out of that jungle at that time, ready to resume the work in which God had called him to. God renewed his faith. He was ready to resume that work. In fact, he would say of those days in which he lived in a jungle, there is a love that never fails. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. You see, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Your enemies, friends, will never separate you from Jesus' love. In fact, the love of Jesus is so powerful that he will use your enemies for your good. Well, we lastly see, according to Paul, that nothing and no one at no time at no place will separate you from Christ's love. Look in verse 38 with me. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I'm convinced of this. I've looked at everything. I've experienced most things. And I can tell you that no one and nothing at no time and no place will separate us from Christ's love. Nothing will. Not even death or life will separate us from the love of Christ. That we will be loved through death. That death is simply the doorman to heaven. He shall open it to you that you may walk into eternal harmony and joy and love. That life and all its worries and riches and pleasures and temptations will not separate you from Christ's love. In fact, not only will nothing but no one, not even angels, he says, or rulers or powers will separate us from the love of Christ. These spiritual adversaries who oppose us will never succeed in removing you from Christ's love. In fact, they're already defeated. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2 and verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them through the cross. And so we can sing, I believe, with great confidence, the the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Well, not only will nothing or no one separate you from the love of Christ, but it will take place at no time. Not present, nor future. Perhaps your present is going well, but you wonder what the future holds. I can tell you what, at the very very least, it holds for you the love of Christ. Perhaps your present is miserable. You don't even know how you're going to make it into the future. I can tell you God holds the present in his hand. He holds the future in his hand. And he has promised that no matter what befalls you, it shall not separate you from his love. In fact, not only at no time will you be separated from his love, there is no place in which you can go to flee from his love, Christian. For he says here, neither height nor depth, nothing in the entire universe, nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing wherever you go will separate you from the love of Christ. The psalmist declares, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. And perhaps we can add, if I flee to the tiger-infested jungles of Burma, you are there. Christian, there is no place you can go. There is no place you can go to get away from Christ's love. In fact, the last of the ten things he lists, he says here in verse 39, nor anything else in all creation. It's almost as if Paul says, in case I miss something. In case you think, well, what about this? Anything else in all of creation, which is everything, because God created it all. 
will not separate you from the love of Christ. No disappointment, no neurosis, no disease, no broken romance, no financial crisis, no insanity will separate you from the love of Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, do you have that hope? Do you have a hope that you have God's love forever? Friends, the Bible tells me you do not. I don't care how good you've been. I trust you're a much more righteous and godly person than I ever will be able to. But I can tell you that you may not be in a place of security of the love of God by your own righteousness and good works. For you have failed no matter how good you are. There is one place where you can access this love and have it forever. And it is in the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Or it is in his empty tomb as you bow your knee and end your rebellion and claim Jesus as your king. There you may have that love and have it forever. Christian. Do you know this hope? Do you know the hope that the love of Christ shall never be separated from you? How has it changed your life? If you know this hope, how has it changed your life? How do you live differently knowing this truth? Judson had this hope. It brought him away from the comforts of America. Two incredible career opportunities. To take the gospel to a place where Christ was not known. It brought him out of a jungle to resume the work in which God had called him. In fact, most people thought Judson was dead, eaten by a tiger. There was a native people who live in Burma called the Karen. They were assumed that that he was consumed there. No man could live by himself in a jungle like that. And when he walked out of that jungle, everyone was amazed. They all began to consider him a man protected by God and wanted to hear what he had to say. In fact, Judson then discovered the Karen people And he learned that the Karen have a legend that had been passed down for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, from generation to generation. The legend foretells that there once was a Karen brother and a white-skinned brother who lived together. And God gave them each a golden book, which told them the truths of God and how to have joy in this life. The legend began to explain that the Karen brother neglected his book and lost it. And therefore, this is the reason why the Karen people were oppressed by the Burmese. The white brother prized his book, and he sailed across the oceans. And there God blessed him. The Karen legend said that one day the white brother will return with God's book, and if the Karen people listen, they will bring salvation and untold blessings. Well, soon word spread that the white brother had come, and he had God's book. And the Karen people began to receive King Jesus as their Lord by the thousands. By the time Adoniram Judson died, after 38 years in Burma, 7,000 Karens were baptized. Those people who just a generation earlier had never heard the name of Jesus had 63 healthy churches. In fact, Adoniram would write about this in his autobiography. The spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere through the whole length and breadth of the land. We have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but those who ask. Some have come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China, saying, Sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape. Others came from the frontiers of Cathay, a hundred miles north of Ava, saying, Sir, we have, see- we have seen a writing that tells us about the eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such writings? If so, pray for us, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others came from the interior of the country, where the name of Jesus Christ is little known, saying, Are you Jesus Christ's man? 
give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. I wonder if that could be said of you. Are you known to be Jesus Christ's man? That's the person that will tell us about Jesus Christ. That's what Adoniram was known for. 200 years later in Burma, now called Myanmar, there are 3,700 thriving Baptist churches and over 2 million Christians, a place that had none. In fact, Burma is the third most Baptist nation in the world, largely because of the work of a brother and sister and those who would follow. I wonder, what do you live for? What are you giving your life for? When you look back on your life, what will you see? What, what, will you, what investment will you have seen? I believe these truths are, are given for us. That we may have security knowing that I have Christ's love. Therefore, I'm free to endure whatever God calls me to do. Free to live for Him. I wonder if you live a life in pursuit of ease and comfort and security. Or if you live a life as if you already have what you want. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Like me. There's a great work I think God needs to do in our heart. I think Romans 8 is given to us for that. It begins in verse 1 by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. It ends by telling you there is now no separation. We have security. Let us live differently, therefore. Let God call upon us. Let him teach us that this life is fleeting and that one day you and I will stand before Jesus Christ and he will ask me, What did you do? to make disciples of your neighbors and the nations. What did you do, Stephen, with the commission that I have laid before you? What did you do, Hamilton Baptist Church, for my fame and for my kingdom? There today exists 7,000 people groups throughout this world who do not know the name of Jesus Christ. They don't know his name. They have no access. They will never hear it until someone goes. I pray that God would help us. As I've been saying the last couple of weeks, as God has been laying upon my heart, I pray that we would one day become known as a church who does not have great programs, but has a heart for Jesus Christ and for his fame and for his kingdom. May God do that work in us. May he give us a vision. Will you please pray for me? Will you pray for your elders? Will you pray for our church that we will look different than the world because of what we've been promised through Christ? Father, that's our hope. I think it's in all of us. Maybe some of us are struggling with it. But I think deep in all of us who know you as Father, we want to live a life of sacrifice, a life that carries a cross, a life that denies ourselves. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, if you, if you lose your life, it's then that you will find it. I think we want to be that church. And yet we are so easily distracted. I am so easily distracted and pulled by this world. 
We do not esteem you like we ought to. I certainly do not. Will you please help us? We beg you, Father, as your children, will you pour out your spirit upon us that we may know his power? Will you free us from the pull of this world that we may live for the fame of Christ? Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay